So welcome to another uh, edition of the Life Before Trinity podcast, uh, the podcast that seeks to get under the skin of students, uh, spouses and staff. And today I'm joined by Ruth Robinson. Hello, Ruth. How are you? Hello. I'm very good. Thank you. Excellent. Um, Ruth, to, just to kick off, why don't you tell us a little bit about, about who you are, where you come from and what um, what training track you're doing here at Trinity? Uh, so I'm Ruth. Um, I am from, well, originally I am from uh, near Bristol. I was born near Bristol. And then when I was about nine, I moved to North Devon. So I grew up in the country. And then I moved to London for university in 1994 and was in London until August when I moved to Bristol to, um, to be an ordinant. And I'm doing the diploma, I think. Yes, I am. That's what I'm doing. And I'm going to do the thing that everybody does when someone says they're from London. Whereabouts in London? Whereabouts in London? West London. So okay. a place called Acton. Okay. And I'll do that thing that everybody does when they pretend like they know where that is. Like, mm, okay. yes. Mm, yes. <laughs> um, okay. And can you just tell us a little bit about your journey in terms of how you come to train for ordination what that journey's been all about um yeah what what got you here well it's a bit of a long story but I'll try not to take too long to tell it but um yeah so I not long after I gave my life to Jesus back in my early 20s within a year really I was on staff at church and um when you work for a church people are always asking you you know oh you ever thought about getting ordained because you know that's I think that's the one job people understand when you work for a church is if you're clergy so and I sort of dismissed it as like oh people are just saying that because I work for the church uh for a long time and then um then I got quite sophisticated in my argument of why I wasn't getting ordained and I used to tell people, well, you know, I'm the sort of person, like I'm a really good right-hand woman and I'll come alongside some really visionary leader and I'll, you know, be really solid and reliable and help them plant a church or, you know, whatever ministry they're doing, I'll just come alongside them. And I remember going to a party, um, I think it was, anyway, it doesn't matter what party it was. Anyway, a party with a bunch of other Christians. And <laughs> the guy, I was talking good to, to this guy. Nice Christian christian party where we're all well no because otherwise why would (laughs) randomly someone anyway so he was i was giving him my spiel of why i wasn't going to get ordained and he said well you know usually the right hand people end up leading in their own right at some point so you know you need to think about that so i did go and think about that and then i thought why you know what's the blockage why am i so resistant and i decided basically i was afraid um of many things like um failing and responsibility and criticism and so i sort of dutifully sort of tried to look um in the bible at leaders and see if that was a reasonable excuse not to do it and lo and behold it's really not because a lot of the leaders in the bible were very afraid or thought they weren't the right person or whatever so that made me sort of stop in my tracks a bit and then so my excuse got sort of killed and then for a few years life was busy i met my husband i got married um i was we were trying to start a family it took us quite a while and so it's very hard 
uh, when you're in the midst of all of that to know what the future holds because you just don't know if you're going to have children or not and it's very hard to plan sort of long-term things like that so I kept sort of putting it on the back burner and then eventually we did manage to have children and then they got to about two or three two I think and we realized that um we weren't going to have any more so we a new vicar had just arrived at our church and within sort of a week he was like and so why aren't you getting ordained again and I was like well um so yeah then the timing just seemed to be right so I was like well maybe now's the time to sort of think about it and I went to New Wine in the summer and I was like well it'd be really good Lord if you could give us some sort of sign while we're there that uh, you know knocking on this door is the right thing after all this time and uh, a friend of ours who wasn't camping with us she wasn't part of our church she's just a really good friend and she um there was a seminar my vicar had asked me to go to about discerning your calling at new wine and on the day of that seminar in the morning she bumped into me at the food court and she went oh she said i wanted to see you because i had this really weird sense when i woke up and she said i and i have no idea if this is right or not or, or where you're at with any of this because we've never really talked about it he said she said but i felt god said to ask you if you'd ever thought about getting ordained so then i was like oh okay fine so that was what that was kind of the final nail in my coffin that i decided i would um yeah go and check out start the discernment process i guess so that was what 2017 i think and then went through all that and then i did a bap in 20 19 and then I deferred for a year so I didn't do my back till August so it was a bit late I thought oh, I don't want to move so quickly in August so I put it off a year thinking it'd be easier and then moved in a global pandemic which uh, nice. perhaps wasn't the best choice but there we go we are here now hurrah <laughs> excellent and can you uh, you obviously said you've worked for a church and um I'd say a you know, I've heard on the grapevine, but I haven't. You told me that you uh, worked for Christians Against Poverty. Um, yep. Could you tell us a little bit about what that was all about? Perhaps for those who maybe don't know what that organisation is all about as well, just a little bit of background um, for them as well. Sure. So Christians Against Poverty. So our church runs a debt centre in partnership with Christians Against Poverty. Debt centres aren't the only thing that CAP do. They do job clubs and they do money courses and they do something called a life skills course and they do something else called fresh start which is working with people with sort of addictions and stuff so debt centers was the one of the first things they did and you can partner with them so they only work through the local church so a local church or a group of local churches um partner with cap and pay them monthly and they send they choose someone from their congregation to train and then CAP does all the training. And basically a debt center is when you um, you use referral agencies and you get in touch with local people who um, are struggling with debt and they phone up and they book in an appointment. And then someone like me, who is the debt center manager, um, I would go into people's homes pre-COVID. Um, when I left, I was doing it over the phone, but hopefully they're going back into going into people's homes once all this is over. Um, go into people's homes and you meet with them and you help them to go through a process of sort of information gathering. Um, and then CAP will put together, once you've got all the information and paperwork, CAP put together a budget for them and a plan to get them out of debt within five years. 
and um yeah it's just amazing it's amazing so i was doing that for about four years of the um time the last four years i was doing two days a week um running that which is amazing wow and what um could you just tell us a little bit about the, those meetings obviously you're mm-hmm. interacting with someone when they're presumably quite vulnerable in terms of they've got to a place where they've realized that their debt is either spiraling out of control or has already got to a point um, of no return. What's mm-hmm. that like in terms of like, how do you bring your faith into that situation? Like, are they aware that this is a Christian organization? And like, also how do they find out about CAP in the first place? Like, is it listed yeah. on some like emergency service somewhere? Yeah. So they, well, they find out about CAP through all sorts of ways. Um, GPs often refer them um different food banks often refer them um different charities i used to work with places like homestart and and that and people who work with families um so my job would be to get in touch with all the people who are likely to come into contact with people who are in debt and tell them about even some utility companies like some utility companies are so like thankful for all the money that um that debt agencies manage to get paid back that they actually then give 10% back to the charities, which is amazing. Oh, wow. So, um, so even some of the utility companies and stuff will have caps information on the back of the bills if they need help or whatever. Um, so yeah, that's, so that's how they find out about us. And then when they do book an appointment and we go around, so normally that I would go around with a volunteer from church. Um, so you never go to the houses on your own, as you can imagine, that's, that could be quite a safeguarding issue for all concerned. So we go in pairs and yeah, it's, it's an amazing privilege because it, it opens doors in the community to people that probably would never walk through your church doors on a Sunday. And they're people you're living in the community with them and you have no idea what's going on behind this closed door. And it's so weird because it's like people are talking to you about money. And so because that taboo has been broken, they tell you about everything else. So within an hour, hour and a half of meeting someone, they're telling you about the abuse they've suffered or the addictions they've got or the mental health problems they've got or the physical things they're suffering from. And it's almost like there's no barrier to what they're sharing with you. And and CAP are so good because they won't take any funding from anybody who will say they can't talk about Jesus. And so, you know, from the very first appointment when they phone up head office up in Bradford to book an appointment, they get an offer of prayer over the phone and they say, you wow. know, your your um, your debt advisor when they come round will offer to pray for you. You don't have to say yes, but just to let you know this is what they're going to do. So that when we go in, we know that the ground has sort of been prepared and you can offer prayer. And so, yeah, straight away you're going, well, I, I believe God can help in this situation and do you mind if I pray for you and I think of all the people I saw like in the four years I think only one said no I couldn't pray for them then and there and that was Mm. a Jehovah's Witness but anybody else whatever religion no religion they always said yes and it was amazing really amazing to be able to bring hope in those situations which is amazing isn't it because that flies in the face of our sort of more evangelistic assumptions that like people don't want to talk about faith they don't want to know that you know yes i'll have your help but don't give me a god sort of thing mm-hmm. um well that's really powerful and in terms of 
I mean, for me, I, I certainly would assume that if I was doing that job, maybe the first few times of meeting people and, and hearing about sort of all the stuff they've going on, that, that must be quite a sort of intimidating thing of like, uh, what do I do with this? Like, how did you yeah. find that the first few times? Like people just yeah. sort of throwing their junk on you, as it were, like, yeah. Yeah, the first few times, I used to go as a befriender before I was like in charge. I used to be a volunteer and the first few times I did cry. Like it's really hard to just hold it together. Um, and I think you, it's it's a lesson in how not to hold on to those burdens. I think I did my, you know your presentation, you have to do it back, did it on about how you process burdens in ministry when people are putting stuff on you and how do you safely like not hold all of that and think you're the one who has to fix everything and i used to do this little thing where that my curate at the time um told me about and uh shout out to lauren i have to send it to her now to say that i shouted out to her anyway she told me to light a candle and uh, when i got back to the office and just sort of in the sort of silence of lighting a candle just let that be letting go of some of that stuff and giving it back to God that I couldn't fix. I mean, it's hard enough just to fix the stuff I'm there to fix with the money, let alone all of the other stuff. Um, and yeah, obviously we would signpost if there were things that, um, that we could fix. So, you know, we would get like in the summer when lockdown happened, I had a client whose cooker didn't work and her washing machine had broken and through various channels, you know, the church bought them a washing machine. I applied for a grant for the cooker. You know, we could do some really practical things to help. Um, and then, you know, you can signpost on the things that you're not equipped to help with. So, but yeah, it's tough. It's really tough. And, and are there any sort of, um, moments that really stick out in terms of where you saw God really step in over those sort of four years, um, whether that be meeting people or, or whatever. Yeah. I've, I've got some good, um, yeah, I wasn't like, sometimes you go to the cap conferences and you have all these people who are like, and here's my client that became a Christian and is now running their own debt center, you know, and you get these amazing <laughs> like evangelists who everybody they see gets on their knees and becomes a Christian. I don't have loads of those stories, but I do have some powerful Holy Spirit ones. And one of my favorites was this guy um, who was a Jewish guy. And uh, for some reason, I, I guess I like all my Muslim clients and we had a lot of Muslim clients in Acton. I had no problem praying for, but something about this guy being Jewish, I guess because of the history of Judaism and Christianity, I was a bit nervous. And so on the first visit, I didn't really push it because he kind of changed the subject and I didn't push it. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm just a bit nervous about it. And we do three visits with the client officially. Sometimes it takes more than that. But anyway, the second visit, I was like, no, I'm going to be brave. We'd have, we'd had quite a good chat. And I said, look, you know, we've chatted about all sorts of stuff um and he he told me some really like vulnerable things that had happened to him in his past when he was in the army and stuff and some real traumatic stuff and i said you know is it okay if i pray and he said yeah anyway so i shut my eyes <laughs> breaking all the ministry rules but i shut my eyes and prayed and when i opened my eyes again there were just tears streaming down his face and he said you know i think that's the most powerful spiritual experience i've ever had and i was like wow that's that's God, that's the Holy Spirit. And he was like, wow. wow, you know, and did he come to church and like, you know, become a Christian? He didn't come to church, but 
I have to believe that when we sow these seeds and God meets with people, that we're just part of a journey, aren't we, really? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm hoping anyway. I think it's <laughs> because a- there was a lot of so seed sowing in, in CAP. And uh, yeah, I think one of the hard, well, you're probably going to ask me this in a minute, but what are the hard things? But one of the hard things <laughs> about CAP is that it is a lot of brokenness and a lot of, yeah, it's a lot of seed sowing into ground that's not all easy for the harvest to come, if you like. There's a lot of, you know, I, get, I guess the wonderful thing about that parable of the sower, isn't it, that there's so much ground that's not ready and it feels so wasteful, but it doesn't just say only sow seed in the really nice ground. The farmer just scatters everywhere. And I think Cap is definitely an exercise in faithfulness because some people are so broken that they can't, you know, they make that first phone call or someone's persuaded them to make that first phone call. But, but, and the first visit, they're like super keen and they're like, yeah, yeah. And then by, you know, and then they stop picking up their phone because they can't get out of bed because they're so depressed or, you know, I had, lovely clients the ones I was telling you about that we bought the washing machine and everything for they came we used to put on events for clients where an evangelist would come and you know it'd be like an afternoon tea and someone would share their story and they'd have a chance to respond to the gospel and and, uh, these clients responded and I was so excited I was like yes they've given their lives to the Lord that's amazing and then the following week um they were out on a walk and they walked into their dealer and they spent all their benefits on crack and you're like oh you're supposed to stick to the budget when you've spent all your money on drugs already and you know there's just so much it's such a battle it really is when you're working with really vulnerable people and um yeah I'm always very thankful that it says um well done good and faithful servant and not well done good and successful servant Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because I guess, you know, we've got to be faithful to do our bit, to share Jesus where we can and to pray and to, to be there. But you can't, you know, the the hard bit really of, of getting people transformed is the Holy Spirit's job. Mm. And you've got to be like, yeah, just hold lightly. Otherwise you can feel like a total failure, to be honest. <laughs> I think, I, yeah, I don't know about you, but I think that's probably like the temptation, isn't it, for like anyone either in Christian leadership or training for Christian leadership um, of like brief creep almost, isn't it? Like mm-hmm. you begin to overstretch of like, oh, it's my responsibility to get these people like over the line and transformed and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think, I don't know, I realised probably a few years ago, like if you just keep thinking like that, you'll just become really frustrated with ministry because it just... Mm-hmm. You know, even even if you have those moments of like transformation where someone takes quite a big leap forward and then they they relapse in terms of behavior or spending habits or addictions or whatever, it just feels like lost ground. But it is it is creeping forward on that journey of transformation, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it just can be very frustrating. Um, So with the harder things in mind, (laughs) what else was like really hard about running um, a cap centre? Oh, what else was hard about running a cap centre? Oh, volunteers, getting volunteers. So every client's supposed to have a befriender. So the person who comes with you on a visit is meant to sort of befriend them long term. And the trouble was I would go on the visits in the daytime and there would be, you know, a small core people in our church who were available during the day to come out on the visits. But they would be like 
they couldn't befriend every single client on a sort of long-term basis. And then I had people in the church who wanted to sort of befriend on a long-term basis, but who couldn't come during the day. And so trying to, because most of the relationship is built in the visit. So if you're not going to the visit, it then becomes hard to sort of manufacture this friendship between two people. So most of the clients who at these conferences and stuff who were doing really, really well, it's because they had a really good long-term befriender. And I think the temptation was I would try to befriend too many of them. And I would sort of be like, well, I can't keep this level of friendship up with every single client. So it's trying to get, yeah, trying to work those friendships. And and especially because I guess the there was big difference between the people in our church and the people we were serving there was quite a big gap for people to come alongside not that it's impossible because of course you can be friends with anyone but um yeah just finding people who could commit and didn't feel overwhelmed with that or whatever was quite a challenge and sometimes we did and it was brilliant and but i always used to get frustrated that i couldn't seem to get that nailed a bit more Mm. you you just briefly touched on um something i think either lots of us have been thinking about in the last year or or particularly even more so recently in terms of um engaging with people that are different from you um obviously that's probably more focused on race recently Mm. but in terms of socioeconomic um uh cultural barriers i suppose like i mean i've heard people in churches that i've been a part of say like how would i engage with that person i have nothing to offer them we're so fundamentally different what would you say to volunteers that assume that they have nothing to offer someone that's really different from them um economically speaking uh but also could be other differences as well oh gosh um sorry i didn't give ruth that question beforehand (laughs) so that's just been thrown in (laughs) yeah it is really challenging I think the hard thing I guess because when I was doing it I was going in in a place of authority I guess because I was going in as this person who could help them with their debts and it was trying to break down and just be aware of not going in with this sort of savior complex of I'm going to fix everything for you and in the latter days I was trying much more to sort of call out the strengths that were already there in people and sort of going, you know, look how much, you know, you're still here, look how much you've um, overcome so far, you've made this, you know, even t- you've booked this meeting, you're here, you're obviously really up for this, and just trying to call out some strengths in them. But also, I think, I think I used to worry when people talked about sort of God's heart for the poor or mission to sort of people on the margins, I used to sort of see them at see them as some kind of big mass of people that were so different to me and how could I possibly go there and but when you start meeting and hearing stories and just meeting people one to one and you know their name and you hear their story you realize that people are just people and they're just you know people just share their heart with you and you know you just be a friend then you just listen and you show empathy and you sort of share on places that you have got similar um you know so you might not be able to empathize with every single thing they've been through but you can use the stuff that's hard 
and you can share that you've been through and you can share that and sort of say, well, you know, I've struggled with this. I mean, in some ways, you know, Mark and I have sometimes not had masses of money um, Mark's freelance and uh, so that's up and down and I was working two days a week for a charity for a church so we didn't have masses of money and so to be able to connect with someone on like things like the craziness of the benefit system and be able to go yeah this is really hard to navigate and you know for other people you know to be able to meet with people on stuff that you do have in common is quite good um but yeah I think ultimately it's just about loving people isn't it and i find it much e and holy spirit is amazing at um just giving us compassion when we need it for people like like every single person when i walked into their home after an hour and a half i'd kind of fallen in love with them and like that doesn't happen naturally does it that you meet someone and within an hour and a half you you just just want to walk a journey with them and i think that can only be god just kind of when you need it he gives you um gives you that connection and if you feel you're being called to to people who are very different to you and i suspect all the people who are called at trinity to church leadership there will be people who are different to them you've just got to believe that god equips us uh, uh, in ways to be able to cross those barriers mm -hmm. but a friendly smile and a listening ear take you very far i think mm -hmm. and i think like having the having the guts i was going to use another word instead of guts <laughs> but um you know keep this family friendly um yeah <laughs> having the guts to step over that line of sort of um uh i don't know you're, you're getting getting yourself out of the way of ministry as it were like getting mm. over yourself isn't it um and and putting yourself in places deliberately perhaps where you feel uncomfortable um and and vulnerable yourself uh yeah um i don't want to start preaching so i'll move on um <laughs> <laughs> um and in in terms of who's probably listening to this uh many of the people uh at trinity are training for future leadership in whatever capacity that be church of england or otherwise um what do you think those people should know about cap like what one thing do you want them to know and and perhaps where do cap centers tend to work best as well like what context are they most suited to oh well what context is cap most suited to well Sorry, it does cost two questions money. in one wasn't it there? it does cost money and i know for some center like i was lucky my church although it wasn't a massive church we did have generous givers and people of a you know middle class people who had plenty of money and so um my salary and the cap contribution which is a few hundred pounds a month um were always covered and i didn't have to worry um about fundraising or anything like that and i know some cap centers do have to do all their own fundraising um which can be a challenge um even when you go in it a few churches together um it can still be a challenge to find the money so that's probably the hardest thing about cap is the finances but i guess if you you really have faith and believe in it. You can pray and cap, cap themselves are brilliant at helping churches fundraise and will point you in the right direction and stuff. So that's very practical side of it. Um, but what is amazing about cap and what I used to say 
when I used to go and visit churches to tell them all about why they should open a camp centre or be involved with camp, is that it just opens doors to people, like I said before, who just would never come to church on a Sunday. And I think especially now that we're all into streaming services, mm. I wonder how much more accessible it makes. Because a lot of my clients, we used to have an afternoon service at Harpers Four, and a lot of my clients, you know, if they had really bad chronic pain or whatever, they would take their painkillers and they'd be all right for a couple of hours in the morning, but then by the afternoon they couldn't get out of bed. So when you're trying to disciple or, you know, encourage these people to get involved in church, like online church is going to be brilliant for my clients, I would have thought, because a lot of the barriers for them getting to a church building mm. uh, are not there anymore, which is amazing. Um, so can't have lost my thread now what was I saying um yeah so it opens doors in the community and like amazing amazing people who are genuinely like in desperate need of some hope and some light and some life you know and it really is the gospel really is good news to them and I think um it's just like I said it's just easy within an hour and a half of meeting them you're, you're telling them about Jesus and the gospel mm. and I've never known anything like it for a natural way to meet local people who, um, yeah, who you can pray and walk alongside and really support. It's amazing. And do you think it builds trust between not only sort of service users or clients? I don't, I don't know whether there's a proper word for them, but like mm-hmm. um, uh, between them and the church in terms of like, it's probably not new information to anyone that like most people are suspicious of the church mm. as an institution. Um, yeah. Do you think it builds that, that level of trust with the, to, to make so. that possible? Um, I think so. I mean, some people, some people think cap on a negative side they think because you go in in a place of resp- of authority that somehow you're exploiting them in their moment of need because you're sort of mm. they'll do anything you say because they're so desperate and so you're sort of exploiting that power by going oh and here's jesus and can i pray for you and it's almost like they can't say no because they're i don't know even though they've been told they can say no so there are critics who say that cap sort of is not great in that way but you know every centre manager I've ever seen go on a visit or whatever is very gentle and not at all sort of like you must do this otherwise whatever um but yeah I think because it's not it's not just about the debt you know they get invited when again post-covid hopefully there we put on client events sort of two or three times a year there there would be like a Christmas dinner and there would be um, we'd do Christmas hampers for them and they would get invited to different again for some people this is the only time they'd get a full-on Christmas dinner or they'd get to go to an afternoon tea or you know go out we used to do clothes swaps in the church and I'd invite them to that and they would get you know bags of free clothes or whatever so I th- I think it it shows us in a good light that people were happy to come along and you know I used to get Christmas cards from clients thanking us for all our help and stuff so I'm I'm sure it must break down negative sort of church barriers but again because you don't know whether they're just and especially with vulnerable people as well sometimes vulnerable people will say what they think you want to hear Um, so who can tell deep down what people were thinking but on the Mm. surface people seem to appreciate the help Mm. and if and if uh you know obviously some of these 
people listening are, are going to be church leaders probably one day all, all being well um what uh what would you say to them in terms of like if if, if someone is listening who's particularly passionate about poverty in in the uk and dealing with it from the point of view of a cap center how does the process work is it like some vicar just champions it through and and gets a couple of churches on board or yeah what's the process to like getting one established Uh well sometimes it comes from the members of the church so in our church it was a lady who'd heard John Kirkby, who's the founder of Christians Against Poverty, she'd heard him speak at New Wine and she got very excited and sort of badgered the vicar and then it went to the PCC and they all talked about it and found somebody who was going to run the centre, talked about the finances and stuff. But I guess one of the first things you can do is you can phone CAP and they will send a CAP speaker who can come and talk to the church about CAP and what you could get involved in and sort of share the vision um you can go and have a tour again in post-covid times you'll probably be able to go and have a tour of their headquarters up in bradford jubilee mill and see what's going on up there i think they have days when church leaders go up um yeah so they that would be the first sort of steps to either get a cap speaker down or um phone head office up in bradford and talk to them about it and then yeah, and then you would recruit your centre manager and send them up to Bradford to be interviewed. And then if CAP sign off as well, then they train them brilliantly. Their training is amazing. Um, again, I don't know. I think they're doing it all online now. So you might not even have to send people up to Bradford anymore. Um, but yeah, what what's brilliant, like CAP have won so many awards for being like amazing to work for and their processes and stuff are super professional. Um, so, you know, you're in good hands if you do decide to partner with them, that's for sure. And I'm such just, a cap groupie, aren't I? No, no it's great. It's so nice that <laughs> someone talks so positively of, you know, a, a Christian organisation. It's great. Um, uh, what was the other thing I was going to say? Yes, that was it. Uh, how long from start to finish, roughly, did that process take in, in your Ooh, church? I can't remember. Um Oh, probably a year, 18 months. It takes a while to get, I get everybody on board and sell a vision and then you have the speaker and then, you know, recruitment, they train at different times of the year. So like I know when they were thinking about my replacement, um, they obviously had to advertise and then they were trying to catch sort of the next training in order for the centre to be up and mm. running again by whatever date. So it's not super quick, but it's not, deathly slow oh that sounds like you know lightning speed for the church (laughs) (laughs) um oh that's so good um uh ruth i'm I'm conscious that uh we're we're probably running out of time but um yeah thank you so much for just sharing a little bit about uh who you are where you come from what you've done with cap uh such an amazing organization um i i was part of a church a while ago that was just on the edge of launching a center um and then i moved on to something else so i never got to see so it's really nice uh, to hear like what what it what it's like on the ground as it were but yeah thank you so much uh thanks so much for listening sure. um we'll see you soon on the next episode <laughs>